Welcome to Metal Injections, the Squared Circle Pit. Today's special guest, Purple Bowery, Raven. And now, here's your host, Rob Hospani. I'm going to not even bother apologizing for taking so long with a brand new episode. It's Rob. Welcome to Squared Circle Pit. I did not forget about this podcast. It's just I had a few guests lined up for the last few weeks and they all bailed on. So I didn't really have much of a show working on being much more consistent in 2019. That's definitely a New Year's resolution of mine. This is basically my favorite thing to do on metal injection. So I'm definitely going to keep doing it. Thank you for sticking around. And it's worth it because I have such a cool guest. You know, I say this a lot on the show, but when I started the podcast, one of my dream guests was Raven, who I have on the show today. And Raven himself is a podcaster. He has a new podcast or I mean, it's a podcast that's been going on a little over a year now. It's called The Raven Effect. You can listen to him every week and uh, he'll talk about that. And I'm so excited to talk to him about music. Turns out he's not much of a metal guy, uh, which I guess isn't too surprising. Uh, it seems that, that, that to be the case with most of the metal characters in pro wrestling. Uh, and it's it's great to talk to him. We had a great chat. Uh, we went on for quite a while, uh, much longer than originally scheduled because we just had a great time talking. And uh, I think you're going to really enjoy it. So why am I still talking? We'll, we'll go to the Raven stuff, and then after, I'll talk about everything going on in the world of pro wrestling. Now entering the squared circle pit, a former NWA world champion, former ECW world champion, most importantly, a former WCW light heavyweight champion, <laughs> and a fellow member of the tribe. Raven, thank you so much for, for joining me on the squared circle pit on what is the first day of Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah, Raven. It's Hanukkah? Today's the I first no day. Idea. Well, I'm glad I could bring I'm you this so update. <laughs> I'm so un-Jewish. So did you did you uh, even have a, a bar mitzvah? I never had one. No, yeah. I never had one. You didn't have one either? No, no. My parents were like, uh, you could do a bar mitzvah or we can go on a vacation. I'll, be like, I'll take the vacation. Really? I thought I was the only Jew that didn't get bar mitzvah. Nope, 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 nope. I guess, I guess <sighs> we're in an elite class of Jews that refuse the bar mitzvah. I heard mitzvah. the greatest line. This, this comedian had the greatest line. He goes, uh... He goes, we're really good at the 40-year dash. <laughs> and I, I, I like that you are anti-comedy. You have a podcast now, The Raven Effect. That's what you're doing now. And I, I, I like yeah. and, and I feel like there's a lot of uh, an old-school vibe to the comedy you're into. What are some of your favorite comedies? Is The Jerk one of them? Am, am I remembering this correctly? Uh, no, that's Disco's favorite movie, or second okay. favorite movie. Well, what is your what's um, your... No, I like The Jerk, but I didn't think it was that spectacular. But... Mm -hmm. um, um, some of my favorite comedy movies, um, uh, let me think, uh, I can't even, oh, of course, Fletch, uh, Stripes, Caddyshack, and Monty Python's Holy Grail. Oh, okay. uh, Those are the four big, there you go. yeah, the four, the four, but, but I love Henny Youngman, I love that old school comedian, um, yeah. so I, you know, and, and I also love Daniel Tosh, but my, my stand-up is more like, um, it's Mitch Hedberg-like. Mm -hmm. Is the best one I can say. I mean, it, it really there, it's there's a Stephen Wrightness to it, but it, it's not monotone, you know. Right? Yeah. It's it's mostly it's one liners. It's a lot of a lot yeah. of plays on words, a lot of puns. Uh, have you heard yeah. of the, Have it's you heard of puns? Yeah, absolutely. puns have such a bad, puns have a terrible reputation because everybody like that's why we buried the tears and tears guy from TV Guide so much on the on the podcast, mm -hmm. the, the Raven Effect podcast. You can new episodes are every Monday. You can listen to it um, on uh, on anything that has podcasts. Very proud. It's uh, it's really funny. It's not. It's if you're expecting a lot of wrestling, don't. I mean, if you're not a wrestling fan, then you'll love it anyway because it it has almost no wrestling in it. You know, it's wrestling adjacent. Is really, I'm, but we're you know because I was a wrestler. That's what the right the sports category, but it should be in the comedy category. It's you and but, your um, your co-host uh, Busby. Just you guys riff, right? You get a lot of riffing. We just riff on everything and try to be, and our goal is to be funny. I mean, if everything, everything should amuse you. There should be nothing that doesn't amuse you in some way. Like even if we hit a heavy topic, we'll mm -hmm. still find a way to make it funny, you know? Yeah. Have you heard of the comedian Neil Hamburger? I think he's totally up your alley. I, I've heard of him, but uh, I don't think I've ever seen him. Got to look up some clips. It's also just one-liners with really 
with really nasty punchlines. Like, uh, for, like one I remember is like, why did Metallica cut off their long hair? Their barber told them it was the only way they can get, get out all the matted cum. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's the joke. So I think, and, and, That's funny. <laughs> I think it's, it's certainly up your alley. But yeah, so this podcast, we try to talk you know, about. That's like, well, that, that's like a joke I wrote the other day. I just wrote this joke the other day. Is I got a friend who's a vegan. She doesn't eat meat, but she will go down on a fish. <laughs> uh, I saw I saw you do the stand up on, on the Jericho cruise, and I really like the bit comparing a woman's period to to a wrestling match uh, with <laughs> with the getting uh, the. I'm not going to ruin the punchline, but I, I really uh, I thought that was a good bit as well. Uh, was it wait? What was the punchline? The punchline was like, and uh, sometimes you get color. Uh, oh, no, no. That, that was sex. That was about sex, not a woman's period. Oh, not a woman's period. You're right. I'm sorry. I, I fucked that up. It was yeah. The color it, was the it period. Goes something like, it goes something like, I, I forget exactly, because that's why my uh, my recall is uh, damaged from too many chair shots to the head and too right. many drugs in the 90s. <laughs> but, um, but basically it goes that uh, sex should be more like pro wrestling. There should be uh, there should be winners and losers. There should be a referee to tell you no, there's not the winners and losers. There should be a referee there to tell you. Or there should be somebody there to tell you who won or who lost. They <laughs> um, should you should dress in colorful costumes and use uh, and use foreign objects like a cheese grater. Um, it's phrased better, so it's funnier. And then something, and then at the end it goes. Uh, you should get twenty five extra for getting color, you know, because uh, if you're a wrestling fan, and getting color means you know when you bleed. And uh, and if you're not a wrestling and, and fan, and if you're you a sex fan, getting color <laughs> is when you're when you're doing the period, the period sex. Oh, that's why. Oh, I that, see. that's yeah, the no, joke. And, that's the joke that you're you do. Yeah, no, no. I meant, I meant, like you get twenty five extra for color because in wrestling, the old timer used to get like twenty five extra for getting color, for getting blood, for blading yourself. I see. Yeah, so it's even funnier. Yeah, your way works too, but my way's funnier. So there. <laughs> It's a double entendre. It's a play on words. You you're so good at puns. You didn't even you didn't even pick up on the on the pun that you were suggesting. It, it, it just well, up. I just I, <laughs> I did, but I did, but I just don't think of that as the joke, though. You know, I, I think it's funny because because it's it's, uh, it's an old timey you know it's an old timey yeah. wrestling. Oh, thing. absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I I want you. A lot, a lot to talk about, a few things to talk about. Well, like the podcast here is about the intersection of uh, mu music, rock and metal and, and pro wrestling. And I feel uh, the Raven character is, is a perfect example of that, how you kind of took the what was happening with music and, and, and made a character that people could immediately know, like, oh, I know who this guy, who this guy is. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I tried to make it three dimensional as opposed to two-dimensional and cookie-cutter uh, characters that most people portray. Yeah, and I feel at the time it was one of the most three-dimensional characters and, and the most uh, layered uh, storytelling uh, with the whole angle with Tommy Dreamer and, and just the whole... Everything about the character worked. And, and including... Well, well, my, let, me, let me just interrupt for one second. My <laughs> idea was I wanted to take something personal because inside, I you know, I act on the surface... I act cool and aloof, but inside, you know, I got anxieties and fears and foibles like everybody else. And I wanted to take that inner turmoil and I wanted to make it so reflective of my character that you knew in any situation exactly how he was going to behave, that, that he was right. so realized as a character, so fully realized as a character that you knew if, if, he was, if, if he was put in this situation, you'd be able to go, yeah, he would do that. You know, without even having to think about it. And and like I said, like the whole character was so well defined. Like you wore really cool shirts. You wore like a Melvin shirt. Nevermore. You wore like metal and rock shirts. I spoke to Gabe Sapolsky before, and he mentioned how he would go to to metal shops and like like shop for for shirts and like show you, and you you kind of pick them out. Like, do you remember like coming up with like the the costuming for the character and also? using the, the theme song they used, which was uh, Offspring, Come Out and Play? Yeah, um, basically, I came up with the name and the outfit all within five minutes. Like, it was just an epiphany. Like, I started thinking to myself, all right, what would, what would this character be called? And I go, all right, what's the closest analog I can think of? Well, 
okay, let's say the crow. The crow was named, his name was Eric Draven. Draven, Raven, quote the Raven nevermore. Boom, I got a name and a catchphrase. I mean, that's how quick it came to me. Like, right. you know, I was, I just, and, and I'm sure I thought of other movie characters, but that, that was the one, like, I just, when I went to, when I thought of, okay, let's see, the crow, you know, uh, the Red Hot Chili Pepper characters in Point Break. But I remember that the, the, the crow character was named Eric Draven. And I said, Draven, Raven, quote the Raven nevermore. Good. Now I'm a catchphrase in the name. Um, and then I go, what do I wear for the outfit? So right away, I knew I needed jean shorts. Uh, well, not right away, because first I tried on, I, I knew short, I knew my shorts had to be knee length, because that was the style. And that was what, what somebody who uh, dressed that way would wear. And that's what I wore anyway. So I got with jean shorts. Um, then I thought, well, I got to add some flannel to it, because, you know, it was uh, the Nirvana era, so there had right. to be a little flannel. So at first I made, I cut off, I put a flannel shirt on and cut off the sleeves. And I was like, nah, I look like Big Josh. Remember Matt Warren's <laughs> character, Big Josh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I, I could, I could yeah, see that. I, like, I look like Big Josh, so that's not it. So I go, uh, so then I go, all right, oh, wait, I'll tie the flannel around my waist. Boom, that's set. All right, now, do I need a T-shirt? I always liked wearing it. I like the T-shirt because, A, because then I realized I need a leather jacket, you know, which I had a leather jacket that I wore all the time. So I was like, I'll just put my leather jacket on and I'm set. Jean shorts, Doc Martens, leather boots. I mean, Doc Martens, jean shorts, flannel shirt, and a leather jacket. But then I started thinking, I'm going to wear the leather jacket every day. There needs to be variety for this for this character. Everybody needs variety, you know, but I'm never going to change the jean shorts. So I got to have something that changes every episode, which would be my T-shirt. So I put on a T-shirt and because... I've never had, like, I've always, I used to have big arms and big shoulders, but I had no chest and no stock, and I had a big waist. So I wore, so I cut off the sleeves of the T-shirt, show off my arms and shoulders, wore the T-shirt, so that way I would hide my waistline anyway, so I don't have to worry about it, and, uh, and my lack of chest. And also then I could change the shirt every day, every, every match, so every match you're seeing me wear something different. You know, just like, so just like people would change their ring tights all the time. Right, yeah, you know? and I think that's something that you... Like just the attention to the little details like that really made the character stood out. And I, and I remember you saying in like a previous interview, just like every wrestler should come out with a jacket or just something to take off to like just look. Yeah, cool. you gotta have a you gotta have a ring jacket. I tell you know it became a running gag because I would say it so much, but it's true. And it's like and I remember when America's Most Wanted, we were in TNA, and they they finally got a new ring jacket. And I'm like, sweet. I go, how many did you get? They go, we just got one. I'm like, uh, and they, they were all disappointed. I'm like, what, they, what? I go, well, think about it. I go, they go, you're going to wear one new jacket. You wear it out. The next time you wear it, okay, we've seen it. Third time, oh, we, we, we always see this. Okay, so, and so I go, and they're like, no way. This new jacket's going to be great for months. By the third show, they were like, yeah, you're right, you know, because you need to have a variety. So that's why you need to have five jackets, or at least you used to, because, You'd have four weeks of TV and the fifth, and then, and then the pay per view. So you'd have to have right. five jackets that you could rotate, so people never saw you in the same jacket until eight weeks, until six weeks later, five weeks later. And jackets don't have to be expensive. I mean, I had twelve or something when I was in Portland wrestling. I was making. Uh, in fact, I just did an interview with a guy from Portland about Portland wrestling, and um, and we never even came talked about this, but like um, we started to talk about it, but we didn't get to it, but. Like it was money wise, this was eighty nine ninety. I was making five and a half, five hundred and five hundred to five hundred and fifty bucks a week plus pictures. Which so I was making seven, eight hundred bucks a week at least. Mm -hmm. Um, which is a really good living. It's not something you can make million you know, you can't live you can't, you know, put a put a lot of weight on it, but you can make it that's a great living for, you know, a twenty three year old and you know, an eighty nine yeah. or ninety. But it's still, you know, to buy a bunch of ring jackets, like Flair used to spend thousands on his. So I was like, I'm not doing that, but you got to have ring jackets. So I would go to the, like, TJ Maxx. I'd buy a jean jacket, like a really, like a, a unique one, because they always had the weird, unique ones that didn't sell. And then I'd get a bunch, I went to the fabric store and bought a bunch of uh, neon fabric, because neon was in back then. And I bought a bunch of fringe. Fringe is cheap. And I just had somebody sew it all together. And then all of a sudden, I had like 12 ring jackets, and then I would cut, a lot of them I would cut holes in, and then I would wash them and dry them so that they would fray. So I had frayed holes all over them. Sometimes I'd add those little metal um, things you see on leather jackets, you know. Um, yeah. 
A stutz. Spikes, not yeah, spikes, yeah. but the little metal knobs. Stutz. stutz. You know, and add those to the jacket. And I had like, you know, where I'd find like an iron-on patch, you know. So I had like 12 ring jackets, you know, my second year in the business. And it made me look like a star. And to be a star, you got to look like a star. And guys don't get that. Right. It's a cosmetic it's business, movie. ultimately. You know, it's, 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 all, that? it's all, it's a cosmetic business. It's all based on looks. Yeah. You got to look the part. Yeah. I mean, you know, and so, and that's the great thing about wearing a t-shirt is you never have to, like, if you're a bodybuilder guy like Lex Luger, well, if you ever lose your body, your gimmick's shot. You know what I mean? So you right. have to stay in perfect shape ever. I never had to stay in perfect shape because all I had to do was have arms, you know? Yeah, you just you could eat that burger and not feel guilty about it. <laughs> right. But I mean, uh, well, what I about the shirts? Like did you were you discriminant about what what kind of shirts the Raven character would wear? Would it be bands that you like or just like shirts that look cool? Uh, it was all at the beginning it was all bands, bands that were cool or pres- presumed to be cool. Like, I never really listened to the Melvins, but I knew who they were, so I got mm. the Melvins. Plus, it was a cool shirt. Um, I didn't listen to Ministry, but I had a Ministry shirt. I had Suicidal Tendencies. I never really listened to them. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's funny. My musical tastes were so not Raven. They were, um, I like 70s soul, the 70s Philly soul. Mm-hmm. Um, I like black, I love black dance music from the 70s. Um you know, like uh, disco, basically, or, or you wouldn't call it disco. <laughs> Would you say d- disco, or, or or is it not like yeah, yeah, like even R&B disco. Kinda? Even I, I loved it. I mean, I I loved because I loved anything with a beat. You know, yeah. Like if you listen, if you saw, if you, there's an interview I read with Motorhead with Lemmy, and Lemmy loves Britney Spears because it's got melody. You know, yeah, yeah. Chuck you would Berry never catch Lemmy had... playing Britney Spears, but that's what he likes. Right. And it's funny because his music doesn't really have a lot of melody to it, you know, Motorhead. You know, it's not it's not the most melodic, but that's what he likes to listen to. That's what I like to listen to. But or '70s uh, classic rock, like basically my my tuner was stuck in the '70s, um, and then I liked alternative '80s, like the Cult, you know, and then I loved Nirvana and Stone Temple Pilots. I mean, that was a great uh, set of uh, years of music. But right. so, like more stuff, of the the alternative I'm, grunge stuff, like. Pearl Jam, Smasher Pumpkins, like those, those type of bands are more your alley than the more yeah. heavy stuff? No, no, those are, I, I, Soundgarden, um, mm-hmm. Stone Temple, I like Stone Temple Pilots better than Nirvana. Um, I loved the Stone Temple Pilots. Love them. Um, I agree. They were great. Yeah, uh, I, I thought, I was thought it was such a shame they got labeled a ripoff of Nirvana, because they weren't, but, you know, Pearl Jam I liked, um, although the first time I heard Pearl Jam 10, I hated it, you know, it sounded all the same until I listened to it with open ears and I was like, Oh yeah, now I get it. But you know, yeah. it all depends how you hear something the first time. But, but the stuff I would always go back to would be, would be the seventies, like seventies, classic rock, seventies, Philly soul, like the OJ stuff like that. Cause that's where I was born in Philly in the seventies. You know, mm-hmm. I was born in the sixties, but I grew up in the seventies in Philly, you know? So that's, right. you go back. I think people go back to the music they listened to when they were 10 to 12 is what they listen to when they get older. Yeah, I, I kind of find myself doing that now as well, or kind of going back and, and listening to music that was of the era when I was that age, but I wasn't necessarily listening to like like eighties kind of, uh, you know, New York like new wave sort of stuff. Yeah, well, I liked the, the Cure. The Cure was amazing. Um, Depeche Mode. Well, I, I like how do you feel the, about those guys. What's that? Depeche Mode. Were you, were you a Depeche Mode guy? Depeche Mode. I liked. I didn't love them, but I liked them. Okay, but. The cult, I love the cult. They were amazing. Although I saw them in concert once and they were terrible. <laughs> but what do you? But I think it was the last stop on their tour before they went to like South America or they just got back from South America, so they were wiped out or something. Right. But uh, but they were free. They were free tickets too, which made it worse. Like for free tickets, you want them to be good. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I'm I'm less bothered if it's bad for free ticket. Like good thing I didn't pay for this crap. Like, you would think of- that. You would think that, but I guess you still make bothersome. right. You still make the effort. You have to drive there. You pay for parking. Probably get a drink or whatever. It, it actually, <laughs> I would have thought that too. Until and I did think that until it actually happened. And then I was like, yeah, now I'm more disappointed than if I would have paid. Because <laughs> if I would have paid, I could have just decried it as you know, well, what a waste of money. But I didn't waste any money, you know. So now I. <laughs> it's just can't a waste of time. It, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was so it was so disappointing, but. But but I but I listened to um like I hated top forty eighties eighties top forty was the worst 
But I like the 80s, you know, the, the alternative, the new wave-ish stuff that wasn't, the, you know, radio-friendly, you know, so it, was, yeah. it wasn't on the radio very often. Yeah, I, but, but eventually I stopped listening to current music about 2000, I guess, or before that. And then, uh, and then I started listening. Then I listen to podcasts now, so I don't even listen to music. Well, God, although, sorry. God. Although, let me just say this: um, my I, every time I uh, I have a bunch of alarms throughout the day to go off, and I use you know, so you have, I have music playing instead of the alarm go off. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so every time, so often I'll rotate songs in there. And I just I haven't heard this in forever, but I had a uh, Brother Kane and Fools Shine On. What a great song that is! Oh, I'll have to check that out. I'm sure, I've heard, I'm, sure, I'm sure I've heard it. It's just I don't, the... I'll, I'll sing it to you, but loud, I'll sing it to you, but I sing horribly. And fools shine on. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've definitely heard it. And, and you have a majestic voice. <laughs> you, should, you could wow. have been a singer. You could have been a singer. <laughs> I could have been a lousy singer. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, if I could have been a singer, if I could have been a singer, I wouldn't have went into wrestling. That's that was been, that's fair. that was the only thing I would have rather have done. That's fair. That's fair. And, and so, like, you do have quite a mind for wrestling. And one thing I thought that was kind of uh, was pretty cool. And I mean, I don't career wise, maybe not so much for you was when you were hired as a producer for WWE. Now I know you said like they kind of thought you were too small to be a wrestler or, or whatever, but like you still had to convince Vince McMahon or like like how <laughs> how did you convince him? That you knew what you were doing, like booking wise, where he gave you authority to like come up with scripts and stuff like that. Mm. Basically, I did. Jerry Lawler had a had a had a some legal issues, so he left the company, mm -hmm. and they slid me in as a color commentator with Vince. And uh, so I used to do commentary with Vince on Superstars, which was the number one show they had before. You know, even though until Raw became the number one show, right, right. I mean, I watched it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so I commentated with him, and uh, and he saw how prepared I would come with bits and stuff, and and how good I did, and he realized that that I should be behind the scenes, which I didn't want to be, you know, because I knew I was qualified for it. I just didn't want to do it, but you know, it wasn't like I was getting any other offers. So I took that, and um, and then that's eventually why I quit because I wanted to wrestle. But I mean, he he was grooming me to be on the booking committee when Pat like Pat and Bruce before there even was a booking committee. Yeah, I, and that, that's pretty, like, he clearly uh, saw something in you, which I, it doesn't seem like he trusted that many people around that time. No, I mean, but I was, uh, but Pat and Bruce kept, you know, they kept screwing me over left and right. So, I mean, I, I never would have survived it. I mean, I don't know how Russo survived it. He came after me. Um, I don't know how he survived it because those two were so cutthroat, you know, because. They saw it as somebody coming in to take their job, you know. Right, right, so, right. And there was a lot of pol like there was a lot of office politics that you have to. It's not like you're oh into it for the wrestling, and for them, it's like, oh, you got to dress a certain way, arrive a certain time, and that's not your. Oh, style they made me wear suits. They made like it was a big project to turn me into a mensch. You know, like it seriously, <laughs> did. it was. And so, like you know, they they got me into a suit and tie, and I would then I would just. As soon as the show, as soon as work was over, I'd go right, take off my tie, put on my leather jacket, go to the club, stay out till four in the morning, and then start over the next day. You know. So did the like ECW opportunity come, and then you decided to quit the job, or did you quit the job and then were like, I need to find a gig wrestling, and that's how you kind of got. I quit. The, I quit the job, um, and thought I would, and and figured that. Uh, what do you think? How that what happened? Um, yeah, I quit the job. And I was going to hopefully go to Smoky Mountain because Cornette kept saying he'd bring me in and he kept blowing me off. Thank God he did because eventually I saw the ECW show because I moved from Connecticut back to Philly, Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. That's the, like the, the hub for all indie shows because, you know, the shows are either in New York, New Jersey, Philly, or Maryland. Like that's where you make the most money doing the most amount of indie because, you know, the most population. You know, you move to the South. There's, there's probably just as many shows in the South, but they don't pay anything because there's not as much income down here. So moving back to Philly was, you know, plus I love Philly. So I was like, I'm more than happy to move back there. So I caught an episode of ECW, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, I got to be on this show. This show is amazing. It's nothing like what the critics, you know, like the, the sheets were all like, oh, it's all garbage wrestling, blah, blah, blah. Nothing like that. It was a, it was a revolution in, in wrestling. I mean, it was, it was so... And I caught it just as the wave was starting to, to like, yeah. it, I, 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 I align, I uh, analogize it to as if, as if everybody's out there waiting for the perfect wave 
And I just happened to, and it's four in the afternoon, they've been waiting all day. And I just happened to paddle out and turn around and like, oh, here comes the wave. And then I just jump right on it. You know, like they yeah. did all the, all the groundwork was done. And all I had to do was just jump on it and, uh, and ride that and wave. Cowabunga. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember the first episode of ECW I saw, I lived in New York my whole life. And for some reason in my, uh, in one room in my house, the antenna would get the Philly channels and just uh, channel 48. I, I forget the call letters, but every night they would have wrestling at 10 PM and it'd be a different promotion. It'd be like IWCCW, uh, a few other ones. And then one night it was ECW and immediately ECW st stuck out from all the other ones. And it's it was, an epiphany. Yeah. And, and the first episode that I saw, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was you with Beulah and Beulah revealing that she had Tommy Dreamer's baby. And I was like, what? Like, like the all-time classic. And I was like, from that moment, I was so hooked. Just from the story of like, first of all, like I recognized you at like not, I was like, oh, that's Scotty Fuego. What's he doing now? And just, it was so cool seeing all these wrestlers you notice from like all these other promotions, but they're doing grittier characters, cool storylines, like the whole few, like every week it'd be you and the Bruce brothers and like whoever were your lackey that like, you just find a new way to get on top of time dreamer. And I was like, I was hooked completely. The best thing about the, the way, about the pregnancy angle was the, the funniest part was, was when I go, when, when she goes, it's not yours. And the audience, somebody yells out, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back and listen to that. But I wrote, you just immediately attacked Stevie, right? Because <laughs> you thought it was Yeah, him. yeah, I attacked Stevie. Because it's not, no, I know what it was. It was I forget exactly, but it was, it was I attacked Stevie. And he goes, it's not Stevie. And then, and then somebody yells out, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great. Uh, and yeah. so, I mean, you had a great run in ECW. And then you, you cashed in. And, 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 and went the mainstream. And I think it was kind of cool when you got to WCW because you were kind of booking your own promotion within WCW. Like you were kind of removed from the NWO stuff. You had your own little feuds and your own people. And you uh, were you just basically writing all your own stuff? Not quite. Not exactly. I, in fact, what happened was when I got there, Terry Taylor came up with the idea to put me with uh, sit in the stands, which was brilliant. I mean, absolute brilliant. He's also the one that came up with the Ravens rules matches, which I like, but I don't like in the same, like, here's the thing. When there's a rule, when there's no rules, then you don't get heat. You know what I mean? You don't get the same kind of heat. Yeah, you can't so cheat I would have rather. So I would have rather, at first I would have rather not had the Raven rules. And then for the drop to hold on the chair, I would have had the ref distracted by Stevie and then use the drop to hold on the chair, get rid of it. But by the same token, what I also knew was, if you pretend that there, if you do everything behind the ref's back, people forget that there aren't any rules and they still get mad, mm -hmm. which I learned in ECW. So I was like, well, this would be cool anyway. So it doesn't matter. So, but it, and it worked out great because it was something to identify with me with. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, but, but it was also, but people forget, like I would, like people would always want to do stuff when they'd be in a Ravens rules match. They want to do stuff. And I was like, not in front of the ref. They're like, well, why? There's no rules. I go, because, it doesn't have the same – if you do it behind the ref's back, people get mad because they're conditioned. They're psychologically conditioned to get mad you're doing it behind the ref's back. And you should get mad about that. So you, you forget that it's, there's no rules because you're caught up in a storyline, which, which all goes back to – Right. Otherwise – Which that's my specialty, you know, because human nature is human nature, you know. Like I remember one guy, somebody, one time somebody said – Wow, wrestling psychology is like human psychology. I go, it's the same thing. Yeah. Psychology is psychology. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's human behavioral, what we're conditioned for. It's why I was always able to do unique stuff, because if people expected me to do one thing, I would do something else. Like, I saw this spot Colonel De Beers did it in Portland, and, and it literally blew my mind. It's such a simple spot. But, you know, uh, like for a while back in the, in the late, uh, late 80s, early 90s, the guy, the baby face would be out on the floor. He'd go to get in and he'd give the, the heel two gut shots at the ropes. And then he'd do a sunset flip over him, over the top rope and mm -hmm. over the guy and sunset flip him. Yeah. That became a pretty standard spot. Right. So one day I'm watching Colonel De Beers. When the guy did the sunset flip, he just moved. <laughs> he just saw it he coming. He moved. Yeah. Yeah, well, like, like, like he was wise to it. Like he'd seen it happen enough. So he moved out of the way and the guy crashed and burned. And... 
and, and all of a sudden the light went on. It was like, I, now I get making, now I get that you can confound expectations and get re and, and, and you can, you can do things that look like you're doing what everybody else is doing. And then you make a left turn and you'll blow their minds. Right. And, and it's thinking out, it's, it's the first, it was really what got me thinking outside the box. And which is also why I love uh, hardcore matches because see, when people get in hardcore matches, all they do is they go back and forth. I'm like, why would you change the psychology? It's baby face shines. You'll get heat. Baby face makes a comeback. You don't change the match style for it. Cause it's hardcore. You just use the weapons as alternative props. Yeah, and I like how, like, in your matches, you would build to the drop toe hold, to the chair. Like, everyone's anticipating the spot, and you keep kind of teasing and teasing it, as opposed to doing 50 hardcore spots. You really make the one or two in the match count. Yeah. Or or I would do, like, I would do a big spot early, like, with a crash and burn, so we'd both be injured, so I could sell the rest of the match. Mm -hmm. So me and Dreamer, would get, we would do spots that we would, and it would injure both of us, like in the first four minutes in a 20-minute match, and then we'd have 16 minutes to just act like we're injured and milk everything and get the drama out of everything. Whereas, you know, because the more injured you are, if you sell it right, the more you can take your time and the more everything means everything because you're already hurt. You know, but guys don't think that way. They just think, they just think, you know, like, and I, I still don't understand why people, when they get a hardcore match, they just think, well, I'll hit you with a pot, you hit me with a pan, I hit you with that, you hit me with this. Why do you change the psychology? And that's why my matches, I maintain, always were so much more, you know, it's like, it's why my matches got over the way they did and didn't become just, you know, a garbage match. Yeah. You know? There was a story to them, too, I feel. Yeah, there's a story. Because you still got to tell a story, but back and forth, you know, whether it's a, what, and that, that's what a lot of the high spot guys do, is they'll have a match, they'll, have a, they'll go 10 minutes, and then they'll go into the comeback and the finish, and then the they'll do 18 minutes of false finishes. Well, that's not a false finishes anymore. 18 minutes. Now you're doing, now you're just doing a back and forth match after you already had a half a match before, you know, right. there's I, diminishing returns, you know, false to me, a false finish is when the crowd goes one, two, ah, mm -hmm. it's not a two count. Just because it's a two count doesn't mean it's a false finish. And if you don't set it up right, it doesn't mean it's a false finish. It just, it's just a two count. If you don't set it up right, you know? Yeah. That's true, and you see that a lot. I feel like it's a big crutch now, the false finishes, to try to get the crowd to be hyped and, and then thinking, like, wow, this is a great match. It's like, well, they're just doing their finishes back and forth. Usually. And, and, and how, how into the match, how emotionally invested, because wrestling, the, the, the key with wrestling is you're emotionally invested. That's what makes you buy tickets. That's what makes you pay to see the stars you love and the stars you hate. But you don't, you'll never pay for a guy you just like or dislike. You'll only pay for the seats. Like, that's why main events sell fights. That's why you can have a fight with, like, Mike Tyson sold out zillions of fights with no undercard, you know, because you're yeah. paying for the main event. You know, Conor McGregor, when he fought Floyd Mayweather, he could have had the most, I mean, it wasn't the greatest undercard. Wait, was it? I forget. But it could have been the worst undercard ever. It still would have done that business because you're paying for the main event because you're emotionally invested in these people. And so... If you're not emotionally invested, then you, it doesn't have any resonance to people at home. Wait, I lost my train of thought. So basically, <laughs> well, what was the point I started making? We're talking about uh, story the, the storytelling that uh, was important in the in the match, and that you had to care yeah. about the characters as opposed to the false finishes. Yeah, no, but but I was leading to a big point. Um, hang on. Um, well, I'll just talk until I see if I can discover it again. Um, <laughs> but but you um. Yeah, so you're emotionally invested in the characters, and so if you're not emotionally invested in them, you're not going to pay to see them, and you're not going to be a big star. You're not going to be. You have to be loved or hated, and they have to, and to be loved or hated, you have to a be a star. I'm getting repetitious. I'm trying, man. I had a really killer point to this story, and I forgot. Well, well, let maybe if we, yeah, if we move on, maybe maybe it can come to. But really quickly, you mentioned that you were drugged out. For most of the 90s, and, and I mean, this is a sensitive topic, so if you don't want to talk about it too much, I understand. But I was, like, the thing that I wondered about is, like, would people bring you stuff? Would you carry stuff across state lines? Like, how, how would that... No, I only did pharmaceutical stuff, so... Oh, okay, so it's all prescription. Yeah, it's always had a prescription, yeah. I see. Oh, but, you know, it's like, 
I'll I'll talk about it because I'm not embarrassed about it, but I don't like to talk about it in a braggadocious way. No, I don't. It's it's why on my podcast we always give because sometimes my stories are going to be braggadocious and they're going to be drug fueled adventures. But that's why we always give an an addiction hotline number at the end of the show and uh, and a website that you can addictionandrecovery.org if you need to learn about it or if you want to if you have family members with problems because you know. Yeah, that sounds like a great time, but man, there was so much sadness. There's so much other stuff that we don't talk about that's miserable, you know, and it took me forever to get clean, and there's a lot of tragedy involved. Well, I'm sure you lost a lot of friends, so it wasn't, yeah. I, I didn't mean it uh, that way. But no, I'm, no, I'm not saying you did. I'm yeah, not yeah. saying you did. I'm just saying, but that's why when I talk about it, I usually talk about the good times, but I don't talk about the bad times. And so it becomes something that people want to do. Oh, wow, look how much fun he had. That's why I wanted to do drugs. Look how much fun they are. But they're also, they're also annoying and tragic and, and painful and devastating. And so, you know, we try. And so whenever we, we always give the, the addiction hotline number and, and the address for the website for an addiction and recovery.org. But whenever what we really plug, though, we, we, just, we just list them at the end on most shows. But if we tell a drug-fueled story, we always try and say, look, Sounds like it's a great time, and it was. But there was all these shitty times too, and and if you have problems, get help. And here's the number because I, I really, I think there has to, because all who wants to hear about the shitty times? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So, and, and, and there was a reason you were doing it. It's uh, like you were, uh, you you had a, a crazy schedule. You know, you were likely in no, constant pain. No, that's you were not just it. doing it for the fun. I did it, <laughs> I did it for the fun. I did it because I was an addict. Okay. You know, and I did it because that's what I wanted to do. You know, you can say, I, you know, I could be a hypocrite and say, oh, no, I just did it for because I was because of the schedule. That's bullshit. You know, you, you didn't do it because of that. You did it because you liked it. You know, well, I, I, I appreciate the honesty of that. Uh, so and, and not- honestly, yeah. it's fun. It's fun until it's not fun. Right. And then once it's not fun, it's not fun. You know, and that's that that's the problem is. You can't, it's hard to determine whether you're somebody who can do a little or you're going to do a lot, you know, and you may think you're only going to do a little like I did, but I ended up doing a lot, you know, and, uh, and then it becomes, once it becomes an addiction, then it becomes a a long-term, a long-term nightmare, but you're still going to have big high spots in the, you know, you're still going to have great times during those nightmares, but you're going to have more nightmares than you have high spots. And those are the things that nobody talks about. Um, and those are why you have to, I always believe you have to give the caveat that if you're going to tell good stories, you have to make sure you mention that, that, uh, you know, if you're going to tell rock and roll excess stories about sex, drugs, and, you know, a couple of chicks you pick up, you know, and you're all doing drugs and getting laid, blah, blah, blah. Sounds like a fantastic time. Who wouldn't want to do that? But you don't, you know, then the next right, day. But then the next up, morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one talks about the, well, all the puking uh, around you. All that stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, so I, I just feel that there's a, there's a, it's, it's incumbent on the person telling the story of the good times to make sure that they point out that it's not all candy and roses. And, uh, and, and so in many cases, it's, it's death, you know? Yeah. And, uh, the so many people have death or suicide attempts because there's only three ways to get out of it. There's you either get clean, which is very, very hard, you go to jail. Or you die. Those are it. There's only three ways out. So are you so? Would you say you're sober now, or rocks are sober? Oh, I've been sober for years. Oh, I've been sober for years. Sober. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. For 10, 15 years. Was there something? Did something just click for you, or or it was a long process to get to get to the the? No, it was. It, I knew. Um, I knew at a certain point that it was that I'd gotten too too deep into it, and it was time to get out. And then it was just uh, then it was the nightmare of getting out of it. Mm-hmm. But that's too long a story to tell. Let me just. I mean, you can, to say, you can say that. I'm sure it's on your clean, podcast. I've been clean. <laughs> I've been clean for a hundred years now. It seems like, and to be honest, I don't know how I ever wanted to live that lifestyle because I don't anymore. But I'm very lucky. Mm-hmm. A lot of people live with that, you know, one day at a time. Which, oh, that's got to be horrible to live with. I, I don't have that. I don't have any cravings, any desires. Um, which I'm so so lucky. I can't stress enough how lucky I am because. Most people live with a one with the with one day at a time where they don't know whether they're going to use one day or the next. I knew when I quit that I was done. Like mm-hmm. I just knew it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's but great. Not because, not because I'm stronger willpower. Not because of any, just because of my brain chemistry. I was lucky enough to be able to quit when and 
And as my dictionologist said, he goes, I don't think you were ever a true addict. I just think I've never seen anybody who abused drugs as bad as you. <laughs> well, when, whenever you do something, you do it to the fullest. That, that, that's just a personality trait of yours. Yeah. Oh, huge. I'd give so much to change so much. Everybody says, oh, I have no regrets. Oh, I got so many regrets. I have thousands, of, probably not thousands, but I got hundreds of regrets. Um, and uh, I would do things so much differently if I could now, but I can't. And so that's the card, I, that's the path I chose. Um, and so I just, I try not to look at, I try to look back on it as with, with both fondness and with, with that poor kid needed a hug. That, that younger me just needed a hug really bad, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I mean, all you could really control is the presence. So you, you, as long as you're, you're doing it right in the, in the today, I think that that's fine. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, that's all you can control. It's also why I don't like to live in the past mm -hmm. because it already happened. I already did it. You know, yeah, you can't control I mean, it. I don't mind. I don't mind occasionally. It, it's why I don't do a lot of podcasts mm -hmm. other than my own, because I don't like to dwell in the past because you know, I already did it. I had fun. I got the t-shirt. I threw up on the t-shirt. I bought another t-shirt. I threw <laughs> up on that one. But eventually, I, you know, after throwing up on 87 t-shirts, I finally grew out of the t-shirt and it no longer fits. Mm -hmm. And so basically, it's like, you know, like I was just talking to, I told you I was talking to the guy about Portland wrestling. Mm -hmm. It was fun to look back on it. You know, it was, it was a nice hour of looking back, but I don't understand how guys can sit there and watch their matches, you know, and just spend their whole lives watching all their old stuff because then you're not living. You're just, you're just reminiscing. Like, I mean, you know, it's, it's always fun to reminisce, but once I don't want to live there, I don't want to live in the past, you know, I yeah, don't mind checking in every so often, but I, I want to live in the current. Yeah, I, I absolutely, I absolutely hear it. You gotta, you gotta create new memories. You can't just right. possibly yeah, talk about old yeah, memories. That's, you know, that's exactly. It. I'm still trying to. I'm still trying to create new fun and new adventures to have for myself now. So why would I want to rest on my laurels when I'm still trying to create? You know. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of fun on, on your podcast, uh, The Raven Effect. If we could end on a slightly more upbeat note, because uh, you've already given me a, a lot of your time, which I really appreciate. Uh, you re there was a podcast with uh, Jericho. You had where you talked about uh, like Rolling Stone did like their top forty SNL character or like they ranked every SNL character, and it was so interesting to me because I kind of watch SNL with the same kind of mind that I watch pro wrestling, and it was interesting to see that you had a very similar thought to it. Like, if I do, you watch the current SNL? At all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't watched last night yet. I was gonna watch it when I hung up with you. Uh, well, yeah, like, to, I, I kind of watch it like a wrestling, like, who's getting over, what bits are getting over, and, like, to me, like, I think, like, what is your opinion of SNL, like, this current run of it? Okay, yeah, it's funny, like, I watched it for a while, then I stopped watching, then I watch again, then I stop, probably like how wrestling fans watch wrestling, mm -hmm. um, you know, and when it gets big again, you start watching, like, the Kristen Wiig and, um, the, uh, where, who, was, who was the... Um, Fred Armisen? Who was the guy on top after Will Ferrell? Uh, Andy Samberg? Like, what, what was it? What were the bits? Oh, yeah, no, not Samberg. Um, but who? Okay, wait, yeah. So, like, right around that era, I tuned mm -hmm. in a little bit, but I didn't watch a lot. Um, and then I tuned in a couple of years ago, and then and it was all right, so I tuned out. And then I started watching again recently. Uh, and la I guess last year I started watching again. And, um, and it, it's starting to it's starting to pick up steam. Like I, I love Keenan uh, Keenan Thompson. Yeah, um, he, he always delivers. He, 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 yeah, you know it's like they finally found a black guy who wasn't just a token black guy since Eddie Murphy. You know, because Garrett Morris seemed like he was an afterthought half the time. Mm -hmm. You know, although although he was much more used than than like like uh, what's the guy Tim um, Meadows. Meadows. Yeah. He, he he seemed worthless to me, but I didn't you know, but I didn't watch a lot of that era. But he seemed kind of worthless. Uh, Eddie Murphy was huge. He was monstrous. But then after that, it seemed like, you know, the black guy was just the black guy until Keenan Thompson kind of put his own spin on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's got a lot of great characters and he, his impersonations, I feel, always, always work. They, they always get a laugh out of me. But, 
But the, the the main person that draws me is Kate McKinnon. She's just absolutely amazing. She is a total superstar. I agree. And I like I've seen I, I watched the movie she was in, and like the movie wasn't even good, but she totally but carried she's great. it. Great. Yeah, like all yeah, of her lines nailed. She nailed it. She's she's the best, and I like how she's playing all these these male roles of these male Republicans that you know they're just seething <laughs> that, that a, a lesbian is is playing them. So her, I, I'm, in, I'm into that. Her, her, her Jeff Sessions is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She, 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 she does and, and, and the way she, the way she, the way she decided the, the, the thought that she's decided that she's descended from raccoons or possums <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. I love that. I love just, that. I love knowing that it's going to piss the person they're making fun of off. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, um, and also what's really cool is she can fart on cue. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Know. Because, yeah, did, did you ever see the movie Christmas Party? Yeah, uh, like I, I, I with flexed, um with like uh, uh, T.J. Miller, in it? Uh, really Jason funny, B but had uh, some uh, Me Too move problems. T.J. Miller, um, Jason Bateman, T.J. Miller. Yeah, yeah. I love T.J. Miller, but haven't heard from him since. The, so maybe the Me Too thing was legit. I don't know. Uh, but he was just doing stand up anyway, in but, New York. He, he's around. Okay. Yeah. But so anyway, but not to get off on the subject on the side note, but so. She, I saw her in an interview show, or maybe no, maybe it was T.J. Miller, and he was talking about how she could fart on cue because she does that one scene where she farts, mm -hmm. but she actually can literally, she didn't have to have a, a fake fart noise; she could actually <laughs> fart on cue. That's crazy. And she's beautiful, and she's beautiful too. Yeah, yeah, no, she's great. And Kate McKinnon, Kate McKinnon's like, I'm like, I'd love to see, I'd love to know what she's really like in person because, I mean, she's funny. She's not afraid to look foolish. She's beautiful. She can fart on cue. I mean, it's a perfect, it's a girl to take home to mom. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's definitely the, the the breakout star of the show and the one that kind of is like the glue of that show. <laughs> yeah, and, or it's like like um, Michael Che is always going to hit you with, 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 a, with a black point of view, which I love. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's always has, you know, the... He gives you that point of view that you that, that we're not white as white people we're not allowed to say, but it's still exactly apropos of society, and and you're going to get that from him. But if he got really fat, or if he not, but if he got fat, I don't care. But if he if he got unfunny, I would say he got unfunny. Like he was not funny on the Daily Show, not funny. And then they hired him away. I was like, why would the Saturday Live hire him away? Now I think he's amazing, but I also think Michael Che didn't start out that funny on Saturday Night Live either. Like he would stumble on his words. Now his stumbling is funny because it's part of his character. But yeah, so I mean, and Colin Jost is always like a, a workhorse. Um, I think they got a great cast now. I'm just, I hope that, uh, that and, and like, you know what I hated was when they would get down on, uh, on what's your name? Uh, the tall black chick, Leslie. Leslie Jones. Leslie, Leslie Jones. Man, that was like, she is so absolutely fall down funny. She's hysterical, and but because she's a big black girl, they rag, they ragged her into the death in the uh, in the Ghostbusters movie. Yeah, well, I mean, like with that, like I I I thought that whole controversy was dumb. Like it in no way affects your enjoyment of the original movies that they're redoing it. It was it was better than the original. It was way really better. really. I, I I didn't find I, I was I was kind of bored with it. I I kind of was like eh. I laughed out loud at it. I thought I thought the original was is never nobody's gonna be able to touch the original because it was the original, you know, because mm -hmm, it's, right. it's just a stellar piece of work. But it wasn't laugh out loud funny. I mean, it was it was entertaining as hell. It was amusing as hell. But it wasn't right. You know, there was no gutbusters in there. But that but the the women's remake was hysterical. Well, like I like, said, I, Kate, I Kate McKinnon stole the all theater. of her scenes, definitely. And and What's like if, if to say something positive about the new Ghostbusters, I thought Kate McKinnon totally stole her scenes and was great and was like the constant like humor in, in the Melissa movie. McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy is the funniest person on on, on anything. I she love her, but she but she was playing like the straight woman. Like she wasn't doing the bits. She was like reacting to this. She was like playing like the stuff. And she's person. still funny. But she's still funny reacting. Like, you know, it's like it's like Cartman is funny no matter what. Cartman's always funny, even if he's just saying the most innocuous right. thing it's still funny because the, he just his voice is funny I hear you. i'm a big fan of cartman you know who else <laughs> is funny king julian the lemur hysterical not familiar with king julian what is that the madagascar movies oh, oh no, no no i haven't seen those I'll have uh, to... there's and, 
and they also has like a, a half hour um, cartoon on uh, Netflix. The Madagascar movies are uproariously funny. The uh, but it's mostly the lemurs. Whenever because Sasha Baron Cohen was actually the original uh, King Julian the lemur, and then another guy took over for him and did yeah. a, an amazing job. But the character is so psychotic. He he would be like he would be like a loony. He's a cross between Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. Like if you took those two and put them together, and they were, you'd have a lemur named King Julian. I love I love these movie recommendations. I think the audience is really going to appreciate them. Yeah, and then, uh, the other recommendation I'll give the, I, I'd say the um, the best the best actiony movie mm-hmm. ever, like with with mystery and all that. And and, and even though the special effects are weak um, for the for the monster, is Brotherhood of the Wolf. Oh, I haven't checked that out. I'll have to. To look into it was like one at one point it was the biggest grossing French film of all time, but it's not a Frenchy film. It's uh, I mean, it's not it's not like you know, all you do is put they read dub it in English and it's and it's and it's weird. The star looks exactly like Triple H, oddly enough. <laughs> is a side I, I see, yeah, like with the long hair, the old school Triple H. Uh, well, to, to wrap it up, do you do you like are you over wrestling now? Do you do you keep? I mean, I'm assuming you you keep up a little bit with the for the podcast, but would you watch it? I don't watch it all. I no. don't watch anything. You're done. You're, no, I just have no interest. I, you know, I lost interest when when WWE stopped using me mm-hmm. or when didn't use me well. It it broke my heart, and I just lost interest. And and I'm a completist, so I'd have to watch. Like I, I always watch every wrestling show. I'd have to watch every wrestling. I can't watch that much. I don't. Have, I don't have that much time, and yeah, there's too much training. good TV out. Yeah, and uh, and there, from what I understand, you know, even back then in 2000 when I stopped watching, there, you know, you'd you'd have one or two good matches on a show, and you'd have to watch. Whereas you have to watch a whole show two hours or three hours to get a couple good segments. Whereas back when I first started watching it, most when I started watching wrestling, it was an hour show. And you'd be lucky if there was a good segment on there. You know what I mean? Right. If there'd be, because it was all squash matches back yeah, in the yeah. day. But but that's what I grew up on. But then when it got once wrestling got started getting good, you know, I mean, started getting where the, they'd have competitive matches on TV, which the reason they never did was because that's what drew you to, that, to the house show to make you pay money. You know, but once they started doing that, you get spoiled, and now like I couldn't sit through a three-hour show. I don't, and yeah. plus three hours is too long. Yeah, well, way I. Too much. I recommend getting a DVR, fast forwarding, getting it through it in an hour, if even. I can't. I can't. I'm a completist. So I'd right. have to watch the whole thing and I'd have to stop and go, oh, let me see what's going on here. Oh, this isn't any good. I'll fa- oh, maybe it gets good. I'd have to watch. Right. And right, I just I don't understand. have any interest. I just, wrestling doesn't do it for me. It doesn't give me my Jones anymore because I've been there, done it, and outgrew the t shirt, you know? Well, Raven, thank you so much for taking time to hang out with me. It's been such a pleasure. One of these days, maybe if we see each other in person, you can tell me about that Seven Deadly Sins storyline that you, you you came up with at WWE. Never you or no, they did the Seven Deadly Sins. But you had another story. No, they did. They started it. They didn't do it right. They started it and then they let me go like two weeks into it. But it is the greatest storyline I've ever written. If uh, and for uh, when we get a thousand five star reviews in the podcast, I'm going to tell the whole the whole the whole storyline, how it was supposed to play out, everything. I love it. And it's nothing, it's, it's, a, it's really the best thing I've ever created. And, uh, but, and we're, we're at 757 five-star reviews, which is a lot, bro. We haven't even been doing it for, we've barely been doing it for a year. So that's a lot of five-star reviews. All right. So, well, that's a good teaser. So get people, yeah, absolutely. So get people to get five-star reviews, just go to applepodcast.com or Apple Podcasts and then just give it a five-star review to Raven Effect Podcast. Yeah, if you want to hear more Raven every week, the Raven Effect, you and your buddy Buzz. And, and if you don't look, even if you don't, just go give it a five star review, you know, because that <laughs> yeah. helps our rating. Yeah, you know, do it for me because I'm really curious what this. And I'm going to go and give you a five star review because I'm really curious about the Seven Deadly Sins. You've been building it up for years. I want to hear what this, this storyline is. It is far and away because <laughs> I'll just get. Obviously, it's based on a movie Seven, but you know, in the movie Seven. The guys raping chicks with, you know, with, with uh, sword dildos or whatever. You can't do that on TV. So how do you make it? How do you make that? How do you get that psychological damage mm-hmm. without without those kind of viciousness things that they did in the movie? And that's why I'm so proud of it, because 
I had to come up with a way to make these things have meaning and psychological terror to them and, and, and to embody and to, and to totally inhabit those sins and not in a hokey way, but in a way where people go, Oh man, what the hell? This is so wrong, but yet so fascinating and, and, and cringeworthy, but you can't look away. So, I mean, if I had got to do it, which is what, which is when I, when I pitched it to Vince, um, he, uh, I'll tell you about that next time I talk to you. I'll leave that as a cliffhanger. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, well, you're welcome back anytime, Raven. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for being on the Squared Circle Pit. Uh, you're welcome, man. That was absolutely so cool to talk to Raven, get a chance to hang out on the phone with one of my all-time favorite professional wrestlers. And uh, I forgot to ask him about how he picked the Bowery as his uh, location of residence for the character Raven because anytime I'm in Manhattan, there's there's you know a whole avenue called Bowery. And I always just think about him. So it's pretty funny. Anyway, thank you again to Raven, his podcast, The Raven Effect. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a very interesting time for pro wrestling right now. It's December, typically December. It's supposed to be slow, but there's a lot going on in the world of WWE. I'm really, really excited about Becky Lynch and her current character progression. And I'm very much looking forward to her match with Charlotte and Asuka at the TLC pay-per-view. I'm glad they didn't just do Charlotte versus Becky again. It's kind of cool adding Asuka into it, a nice wild card possibility. And they're definitely going to have the match in the night. Uh, as far as uh, other stuff in WWE, I'm not really excited about too much else. I'm curious about this Daniel Bryan heel turn, although a little trepidatious about it, because I feel he worked very well as a face, but it seems like he really wanted to turn heel, and he seems committed to it. So I'm sure in that case it will be good. Uh, I don't have much positive to say about Raw. I've been fast-forwarding through it. I've been getting through it in like an hour or less because there's just so little interesting to watch. It's crazy now that Roman Reigns is off the show, how empty the show feels and how they're, like the people they're choosing to rebuild around, I'm just not interested. Mainly Aaron Corbin. Uh, in the world of New Japan, it's the New Japan World Tag League Tournament. I've been checking in once in a while uh, and mostly been watching the main event matches, which have been really fun. It's some combination of Okada and Tanahashi teaming up for the first time, and usually with Kushida, and they're going against the uh, Bullet Club uh, with Jay White, Bad Luck Fale, and Ishimori. Those are fun matches. I haven't really been watching too much of the Tag League stuff, but uh, I'm going to check back in this weekend, because that's when the English commentators are back, and it's like the big shows of the tour. And I'm really hoping, as I get a little burpage, I'm really hoping we get uh, Ibushi winning the Never Open title this weekend. And then hopefully Will Ospreay will challenge for it. And Wrestle Kingdom, which is a month away, which is so insane. New Japan's biggest show of the year. It's been a year already. And it's coming up. And it's looking really, really good. Main event Omega vs. Tanahashi. Uh, I'm looking forward to Jericho and Naito. Uh, Okada and Jay White has sold me. They do Ibushi vs. Osprey. That would be insane. It looks like they're going to be doing Cody Rhodes vs. Juice Robinson, which I'd be cool with. And uh, I bet there's going to be a bunch of other really sweet matches. I hope Ishii gets a nice spot. But the big story seems to be all elite wrestling, this new promotion. Uh, we don't even know if it's a promotion yet. It's a new startup from Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, and the son of the billionaire owner of the Jaguars. I really hope this happens. I, I think that Cody and the Young Bucks really get what wrestling is today, and All In was so fun, and it'd be so cool if they do a weekly show, which it seems like that's what they're trying to do. There was a trademark for a TV show called Tuesday Night Dynamite, which I think is as cheesy as the name sounds initially. It kind of, it's clear to me they're going after like something that sounded like Nitro, so I'd be into that. I'd be into a weekly indie Tuesday show, and I hope they get the success that they want and I hope they can work with all the indie promoters out there like Ring of Honor and NWA and all those guys to kind of make it like a super showcase of all the indies every week on TV. I think that would be really cool. Uh, and I guess that's really all going on in the world of pro wrestling that I can think of <laughs> off the top of my head. And uh, as always, I'd love to hear from you. Please give us a, a shout. Squared Circle Pit is on Twitter, on 
Facebook. On Twitter, there's no E. It's, it's circle. Squared circle click. No E. It's circle. You can find me on all social media as Rob Injection. And I guarantee you, it will not be as much of a time as there was from the last episode to this episode as it is from this episode to the next episode. So I'll see you soon. Thank <laughs> you.